Just two good old boys. Two good old boys. Never meeting no harm. Before we never saw the hand, no hairs. This day they was born. Straighten the curves. Straighten the curves. Flatten the heels. The coffee might get them, but the Lord never will. We're casting away. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you on board. This show is the show designed to help you get your mojo working in and out of the workplace. If you're a first timer, welcome. Nice to have you here. What's this little hoedown all about? Well, we just find interesting people that we think have their mojo working in some aspect of their life from some part of the world. We talk to them, we extract their tips, their tools, their opinions on, it could be sport, leadership, business, uh, social enterprise, technology, wellness, psychology, marketing, you name it. If we think it's interesting and it can help us get our mojo working in or out of work, we ask them the questions, we extract it from them, we take it, we cheat, we plagiarize, we take their ideas, put it into our own world, and uh, hopefully get our own mojo working. So good to have you here. Before we start the show, let's check in with the studio. Chief Engineer Robbo, the man who drives the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. How is it? It's very well. How are you? Very well. And uh, another great show in front of us Mm. to explore our mean girl and mean boy. But before we do that, uh, in the voiceover booth, AP, how's it going? Ah, the dulcet tones of Andrew. <laughs> he's warming up his vocal cords. That's what he's doing. It's a new. It's a. It's a new routine. Yeah. <laughs> all the all the world's best voiceover talent goes through it. That's right. The snoring technique. Let's jump into the show. The Mojo Radio Show. Bit of Mean Girl action this week. Mean Girl action. Our guest is Melissa Ambrosini, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl. Uh, Melissa is a motivational speaker. And get this one, Robbo, a self-love teacher. You know about about self-love. <laughs> well, I don't know. Depends what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, anyone who has been with us on this journey on the Mojo Radio Show for a little while now will know Melissa's name because Melissa, this is her second visit back to the show, was a previous guest on episode 81. Jeez, mm. uh, that was a while ago. Wow, it was, wasn't uh, it? But in this show, we, we're talking to Melissa about her brand new book, which is called Open Wide, which is about unlocking our full potential. And we may touch on mastering our inner mean girl or mean boy, Robbo. Hang on, mate. The phone's ringing. Hang on. Hello, Mojo Radio Show. Uh, hi, uh, it's Dirk Anthony here. Is Gary around? Um, yeah, he is, but we're on air. Hang on one sec. Gary, do you know Dirk Anthony? I do. Put him through. Oh, hang on. Let me put him through. Hang on. There you go, guys. Gary, how are you? Dirk Anthony, mate. I'm uh, 
I'm great. Nice to hear you. What's happening? Are you still wearing those cowboy boots? <laughs> yes, he is, but he wears nothing else. That's the problem. <laughs> Interesting. As you can tell, Rubber, an old mate, Dirk and I go back a ways. Mm. So, um... <laughs> Obviously he knows you well. <laughs> yeah, nice to hear you, mate. Well, it's, uh, I've, I've, I've um, been listening to the podcast, uh, you and Robbo, and, um, and I've been pretty impressed with the, the Dosecki um, uh, uh, <laughs> spots nice. that you've been offering. And um, I... Uh, as you know, I've been, yeah, there it is. As you know, I've been doing a little bit of work uh, around the world with some radio stations in the sort of radio consulting stuff. And there's a radio station in ten- in Tennessee that uh, I reckon you guys would fit perfectly. Wow. Really? Wow. Someone, we fit someone? <laughs> Booyah. No, Tennessee, yep, that's... Uh, yep. That's going to be a country station. How good is this? So, hence the hence the reference to cowboy boots. Bring it on. So, what's the story? Well, they're um, they they are looking for uh, a show that will fit their 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 market. Uh, it's it's a it's a good good old boy and old girl Tennessee market, um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's a it's a great town. It's a great town. I've I've met the guys. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm living in the UK, but I, I went over there and had a look and. Um, and I thought of you straight away. Wow. Someone thought of us. That's even better. Yeah, this is good. So um, what's the what's the name of the town? Well, the, the radio stations, um, you know, they, they want to keep their name of their station quiet at the moment, but uh, the town's Boring, Tennessee. It's boring. Yeah, bo- Boring, <laughs> Tennessee. Perfect fit. You guys would fit right in, and um, and even, they even like the voiceover guy. So uh, that's that's pretty good too. Oh, I so, <laughs> so are you telling me that we've been asked to be on a radio station in Tennessee, and the town is called Boring? boring. <laughs> As I said, you know, they they thought you'd fit perfectly. <laughs> We might have to whiteboard uh, this, Gary. Yeah, you might have to give up the dosecki though. Yeah, yeah what well, do they drink um, in Tennessee? Budweiser. Bird. <laughs> Bird. <laughs> anything, anything wet and cold. Yeah. Um, well, look, I think uh, let's not let's not throw it out. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's uh, let's Robbo and I will whiteboard it. Uh, we'll wake AP up. We'll have a discussion about it. Uh, can we get back to you on boring Tennessee? <laughs> you certainly can. I'll, I'll I'll keep them on hold. I think that, yeah, they're not in any rush. They're yeah, they're, they're quite happy to, to go slow on this. <laughs> I suspect a lot happens in uh, boring Tennessee just quietly. Yeah. Well, I just I just thought you know. It's it's about fit, mate. As you know, all this stuff's about fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just off on a let's take an off ramp here. Uh, what just what are you doing today? What when when people ask you what you do, uh, how do you like to reply? What's Dirk Anthony doing today? Well, I spend most of my time as as you as you know um, from a past life. Radio is is where I've come from, and. Um, and I've sort of spent a lot of time working with people in media, but also taking the sort of learning from media and using it in in organisations outside of media, not-for-profits, uh, with uh, anything from packaging, uh, some education, some creative agencies, but uh, working with a lot of SMEs uh, and trying to help them sort of think about their audiences in a different way. So working with management talent as well as on-air talent, probably more management talent nowadays, but, um, you know, it's it's um, it's amazing how you can transfer skills from one sector to another sector because there are a lot more similarities in life than there are differences. It's quite interesting, Dirk. With with the travels you've got, whilst we've got you on the phone, what's what do you reckon's keeping business leaders awake at night? What's what's really on their mind? Do you reckon? Well, the, the 
thing that I have picked up most, and it is the same whether it's a it's a bigger, you know, corporate client or it's a, or it's an SME, small to medium sized enterprise. The one that I seem to read about a lot um, and hear on the ground from people working every day is the ability to adapt to change. Um, and there was a, a recent PwC report which talked about the one of the how the top five, the number one thing that CEOs and this is being PwC larger organizations, they were um, they talked about the number one priority for their leadership teams was adaptability. So pretty much in leadership, how they can adapt to the changing environment. And it's more than just technology. It's the changing, you know, changing cultures that are going on um, in, in workplaces, whether it's a smaller workplace or whether it's a larger workplace, the ability to be able to, you know, take to change because it's happening fast, as, as you've talked about with your guests in, in recent shows, that the speed of change is so fast. And so, I think the thing that's really, you know, keeping keeping these guys awake is the ability to for their staff and primarily their middle leadership teams to adapt to the changes, but connected to the implementation of whatever plans and whatever you know goals and objectives that they've got. What am I exploring that while I've got you? Because the implementation part is a challenge for any organisation. We had a guy on just recently who wrote Projectify, and Jeff talked about the fact that business is good at starting projects but they're not great at finishing projects. So whilst we've got you, I wouldn't mind digging into that a little. I, I, at, at the front end of that, though, I'm curious if, if what's keeping them awake is to change the pace of change and their ability to adapt to change, what's the psychology when all this change is going on, Dirk, from the, the leaders that you see are doing it well What's the psychology in their mind when this change is happening? How are they approaching it? I think the um, what they're understanding uh, is, uh, you know, and, and it's it's a lot of what I work with them on is two things. One is their own sense of self in that change, um, and um, w- when I start to work with them, it's actually well, we've got to make this change, we've got to achieve these outcomes, and. Inevitably, it'll be, so what is it that you need to change in yourself in order to be able to make your your direct reports, your team to be able to make their behavioral change? Um, and in the early days of when you start engaging with someone on that, that that's, could be quite confronting. What do you mean I need to change? Well, it's, and it's the subtle changes. Um, and so a part of the sort of coaching work that I'll do in, in terms of leadership coaching with the, with the CEO or the, or the team leader, it's actually... Here are the outcomes that you're looking for from your organisation. Here's the bottom line outcomes. Here's some of the steps that need to get there. Here's, here's the implementation plan, if they've actually got one of those already in place. And what are the behavioural changes you're expecting in your next reports? And therefore, what's the shift you need to make? Um, and the psychology around that that that, um, that I've sort of, I suppose, discovered in, in my travels and learning and, and reading and, and you know, going back to school is around change is actually understanding the components of change and, you know, um, the, 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 the three steps in change that really I think that I see people get and understand because you can Google change, you can learn lots about it, but the stuff that they can apply in their job is beginnings, middles and endings um, and without oversimplifying it, 
the, the point is in order for change to happen, we have to go through a process. We've, we've, you know, there's a similarity in, in the grieving process. We have to understand that there's an ending. There's going to be a middle bit that's a bit messy um, and then there's going to be a beginning. And, uh, and the process of, of that is helping a leader understand what is it you're actually trying to, to end what is it you're trying to begin and, and how are you going to manage that, that messy bit in the middle? And it's actually understanding that, that there's a psychology across a whole organisation, across a whole team, but there's also that psychology inside the leader themselves. And, and that's, there's a subtlety in that um, which uh, some get faster than others. But I think that's where the, the, the understanding of what's going on for me as the leader and not, you know, and not in the sort of the fluffy side, but what's actually going on for me. What am I going to find hard about this? What am I going to find easy about this? Because that's exactly what your direct reports are going through and that's what the rest of your staff will go through as you start to roll out and implement change. And unless that psychology is understood and you, can, you, you then don't have an ability to be able to stand it, what's that like for the person furthest away from the CEO's office? So it's an example, without mentioning any names, but think of somebody you've worked with that has had to identify a subtle change and then make that change. Like what's something you identified that they had to make as a subtle change in order to implement a change in the organisation? Um, okay. Well, I think the, um, the one probably that stands out um, most for me will be a... Um, will be in an organisation here in the UK where the uh, senior leadership team needed to... Uh, I mean, the, the, the obvious one is the command and control, the shift in the command and control. Um, the, uh, being able to understand that they needed they needed to know all the information before they could make things happen. And the, the understanding that when they were looking for information all the time, they were draining their staff because they were looking for so much information. So the in conversation with that with that CEO was saying, So what is it about the information that you need to know? What is how is that serving you when you're trying to to give autonomy to your direct reports? And the subtlety was helping helping that person understand that what was the need they were trying to fulfill in themselves by needing all that information which of course had that they always forever not making any decisions, always providing lots of information, waiting, you know, for for um, for you know for the boss to say, okay, I've now got all the information, I'm happy now. So the shift was um, in that CEO to, to to understand, okay, I know that I like to have lots of information because I'm I'm an analytical sort of person. I like to have all the data before I can I can feel comfortable to make a decision, and recognizing that their needs and their own behaviour, how that wasn't serving the, the the major change that they were trying to do, which is push decision-making further down the organisation. Use the term, which is interesting, command and control. And we've had a number of Navy SEALs or people who've talked about leadership and they've referred back to the military. And that is a that is a very military term, command and control. And even Stan Peake from Canada recently talked about how the military are moving from command and control to more decentralised command. Is that something you're observing now? Is that is that in keeping with Europe, your talk about a subtle change is going from command and control to more decentralised where you are empowering your people? Are you noticing that? Well, absolutely. And um, I um, 
recently um, completed a you know a master's in coaching and behavioral change, and on that course were were two guys from the military. One who spent some time in Afghanistan you know, with bullets flying over his head, and another guy who um, who was. Uh, Working with uh, within in the navy, working with um, submarines and taking bombs off the sides of, of ships, off ships, and and uh, and these guys were um, senior senior people, and they talked exactly about exactly the same thing. Um, there's a term called distributed leadership, um, you know, and there's a there's a fair bit of jargon in the space now, as you can imagine. But what it, what it simply means is how can you make decision making as close to your customer or your or whoever the whoever it is that's important to you, your customer, um, primarily for most for most organisations or your recipient um, if you're in a not for profit. How can you make the decisions that affect your the outcomes for your customers as close to those customers as possible. Now, I don't think that's new. I think that might be new in the military, um, but certainly when we were talking over the three years of this of this degree course with the, with these guys, you know, there was a stereotype. Um, that there are a lot of HR people in this in this course. There are a lot of a lot of consultants, but it was interesting. There's a stereotype. You're the military. You'd be talking about bullets flying over your head. But when they were giving examples around behavioural change in their space, they talked exactly what Stan talked about, which is that um, they need that the top brass would need smart, intelligent decision makers all the way through the organisation because they were making decisions even with great communications. They still had to make decisions in the moment on the ground. Now that's exactly the same whether you're a small, you know, five-person business, and the majority of you know businesses in the world are small businesses. And you know whether you are a small business or whether you've got a, a, a reasonable-sized team and a big corporate, you're always trying to put the decision-making further down the organisation as close to the to the uh, customer uh, or anyone that you're providing a service to as possible. Now, you know, easier said than done, but that's the sort of work you're trying to do. Now, you think about. Most leaders, you know, anyone over 35 that's in a leadership position may have grown up in in an environment where command and control, you know, was still a dominant part of how things were done. And when you start out in your career, you get told what to do. It feels like command and control, even if even if that's not the environment. So it's hard to make a shift when you get told what to do and you find yourself in middle management and then you find yourself in a leadership position uh, uh, to actually make that shift because particularly under pressure, we fall back to default. So, the the um, as I said, I, what I'm seeing is that I don't think this is necessarily a new thing, or certainly my experience. Um, what is new is that it's becoming uh, recognised in the larger corporates, and it's becoming a conversation that seems to be okay to have, rather than we're an enlightened company, we're a bit fluffy, we like to let people make decisions. It's actually a strategic leadership approach, and that's that certainly is um, making it easier for people like me to have these sort of conversations with people because it's a real strategic option in how you want to lead your organisation. That's gold. It's gold. Cha-ching. One for the wall. One for the one. For- <laughs> <laughs> I'm a long-time listener. Yeah. <laughs> long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, something that we have uncovered a lot in the, as you would have heard in the show, and something Jeff talked about in Projectify was this starting projects but not being real good at finishing projects. And as you heard, the stats are somewhere between 60-odd, well, they say 63 and 90%, of strategies never see the light of day. 
Something I know you write about, talk about and work with organisations on from the stuff that I've seen from your work is how does a leader maintain momentum? Because it just seems that we start, we do these sessions, we do these plannings or a small business person sits on a tree, writes this great plan, we start, but within 100 days it's dead on the vine and they've moved on to something else. What have you noticed is a Tip, tool, thought, strategy for keeping momentum. I'm going to sound really boring. Um, I, I might have to go to boring Tennessee. Um, the, the, <laughs> what I notice, because I work with public, publicly listed PLC companies or stock exchange listed companies, um, not-for-profits and family-owned businesses or, or privately owned businesses, some of which are family-owned. And um, what seems to be... Um, the biggest impact is the system that they're a part of. So if you're a part of a stock exchange listed organization, you know, the, the pressure on you to provide results in the short term, um, that system that you're in makes it really hard for you to be able to have a longer term vision. Um, and the whereas family businesses, on the other hand, or privately owned businesses, um, they are able to say, look, we're happy for this year or the year after, or government-owned agencies, you know, uh, who, who I've done some work with, um, they they are not so worried about, look, what are the numbers going to look like in the next quarter? What's What effects are going to have on our share price? If we, if we you know, if we have a problem with our, our profitability over the next uh, three, four, five, six quarters, our share price is going to tank and, you know, we're at danger of, of being taken over, i.e., you know, I'm going to lose my job. So the the, pr- the personal pressure on on leadership on, uh, on on those sort of things is 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 where what I'm talking about about the system. So in a privately run company, you're able to say, I'm happy to take a punt on this. Well, a punt's probably a bit flippant. I'm happy to put the strategy in place. I'll take a level of risk. I'll take a level of investment, which might hit my profits, because I know that this change will cause me to lose a level of profitability or a level of efficiency as I transition or transform from one way of operating to another way of operating. And that, that I think, is probably one of the biggest um, impacts, time, the ability for time, the time that I have to be able to make this change happen. So the boring part then comes down to having a leadership team who are prepared to say, how long will this realistically take? And, you know, I've got a saying that will probably end up on on my epitaph, which is it's a long game. And um, there's one particular client that I've been working with for a number of years who are the epitome of this it's a long game. The, the the guy took over the family business. Uh, his his parents had passed away. His brother had passed away, all within a period of two years. And he found himself, you know, with the keys to a company that you know wasn't really what he wanted to do. But he decided that he was going to transform it from, uh, you know, uh, a, a company that sold you know their products by the pennies. Um, so it was a, it was all about you know the race to the bottom for how much you could sell your product, how cheaply you could sell it for, to actually saying we're a customer-focused business and I'm prepared to take a hit over the next couple of years because if I'm going to run a business, I'm going to run a business that is has got this this culture, this image, this approach to doing business. And that was a very personal – but he had the time because it was his company. Um, and he decided that he was prepared to give it the long haul. Um, and uh, there's a there's a, a smaller organisation, same sort of thing. But the, the common theme around this is I've got the time to do it 
and I'm prepared to keep coming back. And, you know, this may sound somewhat self-serving, but there's an external influence by somebody that they trust who who also says this is a long game and helps steer the course. And I think that's one of the harder things is people get excited by new ideas um, or they either get excited by new ideas and want to go on to the next new thing, which kills the thing that's kills the thing on the vine, or they get bored with the idea and then they just decide not to, to continue on. It gets a bit hard. So I think, you know, for me it all comes down to leadership and some support and to actually recognise that most of these changes will take the long haul and that there are key milestones throughout the year and they do the boring stuff. They've got the planner, they've got the year, the year planner. They know that every quarter they'll be doing this particular review meeting. Every month they'll be doing a, you know, look at the numbers. Every every week or second week they'll be doing the one-to-ones with staff and it's all linked in to the 12-month, two-year, three-year strategy. So is impatience the biggest roadblock then, Dirk? I see more that people think they've achieved, um, you know, back in, 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 you know, when you look at media, uh, there was a saying when, when, when I was in the radio game that when the, when the DJ gets sick of the song, that's when the audience are just starting to get used to the idea. And I think with a lot of leadership teams, when they're sick of the strategy that they put in place and they're bored talking about it, it's just when their staff are starting to understand it. So it's probably less so much a lack of patience, more about here's something new or there's an influence, a distraction um, more than impatience, I think, um, where, oh, this is a great idea, I've read this somewhere, or this is a new thing that's going on, or we ought to have a go at this, how can we do this, this will, you know, it's it's a bit like software development, you know, we, we've got a piece of software, or could it do this, could it do that, and without a clear roadmap of what the end outcome is, a strategy so we know what to say no to, um, that's probably the, distraction's probably the bigger thing than impatience. So how does a leader help their team to stay focused, Dirk, because it seems we had Cal Newport on the show in Rocktober last year and he spoke about focus is the new IQ because we are so distracted, back to your point. So I'm tying a few of these things together. I'd be curious, I think there is a responsibility for the leader themselves to have their own focus, laser beam focus. There's, There's that part of it. What have you noticed with good leaders who are then able to keep a team focused to maintain their momentum? Well, I think the um, key is to make sure that they create space for the the top leader, whoever, CEO, MD, whatever, to be able to create space for them to keep reminding themselves what the goal is, um, to stop long enough and reflect on uh, on their business and what it is that the business needs to achieve. Again, I keep saying this sounds very boring, um, but the in order to stay focused to avoid uh, distraction is to keep saying, what is the outcome we need by the end of this year or by the end of whatever date? What is the outcome that we're looking for? What are the what are the external pressures that we're under? What are the circumstances that are changing? Are these are the and then having that sense for themselves to be able to understand that and then f- making sure that there is enough time, there are enough times throughout that year period where that leadership team are brought together to restate the obvious. What I see most of the time is people forget to say, what's the point of this meeting again? What's the point? <laughs> Why? We, what, what, what's the point of this business? What are the things we're trying to achieve here? Because the day-to-day stuff. So, in, in real practice, the one that team leaders that I see 
keeping the team focused is actually, A, making sure that they get together often enough to reflect on what they've achieved and to reflect on, on what they need to do. And in order to have those two conversations, what is the outcome that we're looking for by the end of this year? And and I tend to have, and I think, you know, a tip for whatever it's worth to people listening is the word outcome is a lot easier to understand for a lot of people who don't get goals and objectives. Um, and you can be sitting in meetings and, you know, a lot of people would say, what is strategy? And you can sit in manager meetings and there's a lot of people sitting around the table, smart, intelligent people nodding their heads saying, saying the word strategy lots and lots. But what does that actually mean? <laughs> so for me, it's, it's very much about saying, what is the outcome that we want by the end of the year? And how does that, so there's always, a, there's always an outcome above that one. There's always another outcome. So when we're having a conversation within a management team, it's, you know, let's just stop here. What's the outcome we're looking for? So enough meetings, and I know it's a dirty word having meetings, but enough time and space to be able to reflect on what's the outcome we're looking for, how are we doing, what's working, celebrate some of these successes because, you know, the higher up the chain you go, the less they celebrate the successes. Um, and uh, what is the what's, what are we got to do differently going forward? And the most interesting thing about this is if you're over 35 or 40, you didn't learn this in school, but I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old and they learn this in school. You know, yeah. what's the objective? What's going well? What's going less well? What are we going to do differently? It's everyday stuff. And um, and I think, you know, the, the great thing is that this sort of language, when I work with people who are, who are you know, under 35 and I start talking like this, they go, yeah, and? <laughs> yeah, and? <laughs> but they're working for leaders who probably have had to learn this through either their leadership development programs or, you know, had people come up with them. I think... It's, it really is staying with the fundamentals before going off looking for the shiny new, you know, fad that's going around at the moment. We, we've known each other for many years and I know you as a fundamentalist, which is a great strength of yours. And I know that one of the fundamental questions that you used to start meetings with was, who's the target audience? And let's yep. drill into who the target audience is and even in today's terms, create an avatar and the habits of that person and... Has the focus and discipline changed today, Dirk, with the impact of social networks? Is, is that conversation as relevant as it is? Is it still happening today? Is it being bypassed from the fundamentals of, well, who are we? Who is our client? Who is our target? Into more, what do we post and where do we post it? Well, I think the, um, I think that, um, um, it's a great question. I'm trying to work out the best. There's so many ways of coming at this. Uh, let me try and come at it from this point of view. I work in, like you, in different countries of the world. And, and some of the, I, I was in uh, Ethiopia um, a, a few months ago and um, and in Uganda and different and a couple of other African countries. And they are at a different life cycle of, of media. However, um, you know, it's, it, in their their approach is still quite fundamental, you know. What's but where I think the difference is, whereas we probably used to say, what's the what's the demographic? Are they male? Are they female? What's their age profile? I mean, that's long gone. It's very much now about what are the psychographics, what are their interests, and all that. And that's where social media will allow us to to uh, be able to segment much more clearly. 
but the fundamental of how you attract somebody's attention um, is is broadly the same. And what the different platforms have done is allowed us to have lots of different um, ways of trying, lots of different channels, if you like, of trying to talk to those people, just like these podcasts and and um, and and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all those different channels to get to different audiences. But ultimately, if you're sitting here trying to work out how do I get the Mojo radio show, how do I attract that audience, um, I think we're all a lot more sophisticated and audiences are much more media savvy. So they're much more able to go, this this fits for me. So brand is a lot more important. What's the style and approach? How does this make me feel? Um, so I think that um, the fundamentals are still exactly the same. How do you tell a story in a way that attracts somebody's attention? The person that's creating those stories, how do they get curious? What's the, you know, what's their reaction to uh, what's going on in the world and how they turn that into something that's of interest to their particular audiences? So I use the word audiences because it fits with my background in media for people who work in packaging or or in schools. Um, and I've got a couple of clients um, in, in the education environment and it's the same thing. You can use audience um, in any scenario, whether you call it a customer or a stakeholder or uh, one of the recipients for a charity, they're, they're different audiences. But I think we've all become a lot more sophisticated as a result of social media to know that we create tribes as opposed to the old-fashioned demographic of male, female, young, old, etc., uh, etc. Et it's interesting you mentioned uh, commercial radio and podcasts. What impact, in your experience with your travels, what impact are podcasts having on the commercial radio industry? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> dangerous. I think that um, <laughs> I think this is a sort of this is a sort of gold. Uh, go- we're in gold rush territory, um, in the sense that um, you can. I was listening to a, a, a radio station uh, today here in the UK talking about a, a boxer was talking about sport and how you know you th- you, you th- you, he was describing how some people think that you know boxers make a lot of money in their purses, but the reality is there's only there's only a few at the real top of the tree who really make any money. The rest the rest of us in in the boxing world will um, will just be sort of having to work as a separate job to be able to do something that we love. And I think podcasting is is for a lot of people is 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 the hobby now for shows like this one and freakonomics and and a whole bunch of other ones they'll start to float to the top because they they're consistent you know been going for five seasons and people know they're there they become reliable so the the fundamentals of what audiences are looking for consistency tapping into their need and fulfilling their need will, will still exist i think the the difference is that um what at the moment podcasting provides the long tail if you look at that and still at the moment broadcast media provides mass and that, and those two things coexist very nicely together um what is happening though is that um uh, if you look at on demand and it's not even called on demand it's just i want to watch something when i want to watch it um uh there are television stations that have lost the the, type, the the label on demand now. They're just saying, you know, here's a show, watch it, um, and there's different channels to be able to to experience that that program. So it's the the ability for someone to now say, I've grown up with just turning something on when I want to. So I don't think in my household, I don't know about your, but you, you know, your kids, whether you, you know, I don't need to actually have a broadcast 
because my kids just watch YouTube. I mean, you hear it all the time until you experience it. So I think what it's going to happen for, for commercial radio will be a long time yet. But I think looking at newspapers and what's happening with newspapers, it's a long way off yet and radio has a very different relationship. Audio has a very different relationship with its consumers. It's a lot more personal. So the relationship will last longer, in my humble opinion. But I think what will happen is that it will become less relevant from the younger from the younger end. And the real tipping point, I think, will be in cars when um, bandwidth and the ability to be able to, you know, get your podcast without worrying about any data, data, you know, costs and things like that. That's when that'll have a, a big impact. Um, and then it will be, unless you're providing something that's timely and necessary, I, you know, early in the morning when you need to have the survival information, I think that's going to be tough for radio, commercial radio stations or any radio station that's sort of, you know, looking at younger audiences because they're the first ones to go normally in any change. This is, this is, um, I'm not sure how to frame this properly. However, you, at the top of the show, you talked about talent and you mentioned again during podcasts and commercial radio, you have talked about the difference between demographics or a customer or client and an audience. It's a subtle, it's a subtlety, but I'm curious to get your opinion on, is there a difference in the leader's mind when they look at the people around them in the workplace and look at them as talent as opposed to staff or the people who work in the company. The same way there is a subtlety to considering the people you are selling to as an, or speaking to as an audience versus a customer or client. Now, it's a subtle change, but in my mind, I think it would generate different ideas for me and more emotion and feelings. Is that something you have thought about? There's a thing in psychology called high personal regard. Um, and and I think the you know, having a personal regard for the people that work for you in the sense that you realise that they've actually got to do it. And I think there's a difference between being nice. Um, I work with a lot of leadership teams who are really nice um, and um, – and part of that problem of being really nice is that they actually don't speak the truth for fear of upsetting the other person. So I think it's actually in, and it's in the leader primarily, of course, but it's also in in the next layer, the, the direct reports of the leader, because there's a lot of leaders who believe in making sure their staff hear what's going on and know what's going on, who actually have roadblocks in the next level down. So ensuring that the leadership team and, and team coaching is becoming a much bigger um, issue now, the ability to be able to understand group dynamics within a leadership team because, um, in, in, in effect, the, scene, the, the chief executive is, a, is only as good as, as his or her direct reports and that dynamic is critically important to make change happen. But it's the idea that um, it's not they because you can get go to a, you know the amount of management meetings I've been to, where we say we've got to make some change happen. They, 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 and they're referring to the, the workforce, whether it's a you know a small SME or a medium sized company of three four hundred people, or whether it's a, a, a bigger organisation or somebody even smaller. The conversation goes to they, and, I, and I'm sure you know any MDs or CEOs or team leaders that are listening to this would say, in a meeting where people. You've got to change. And the shift, the subtle shift is less about I've got to be nice to these people. It's actually saying 
what have I got to reorientate myself first in order for the people, for the behaviours to change, for the people that you know that report to me? What are the behaviours that I need to model that will actually then be reflected in the people, um, the people that are you know inside the organisation, and that tends to get lost. So it's probably, you know, it's not about being nice in that sense. I mean, that's just normal cultural behavioral norms. We all we all respect each other. We we treat each other as as in the cultural norms that that we we have wherever we are in the world and whatever company we have. It's about being able to say, am I modeling the behavior that I'm expecting on the ground? Am I am I, you know, doing the things that we're putting into people's performance reviews? Am I doing those myself? Am I being managed? And that's the same for the CEO because who does the CEO's performance review and are you modelling that behaviour? That's a pretty tough one. And, you know, I've, I'm privileged to be able to work with CEOs because, you know, I ask that question. What are the behaviours that you're modelling that people can see? And then how is that aligned? Because it's a pretty hard ask to start saying they to people that you that work for you if you're not actually modelling those behaviours yourself. Game recognises game. Absolutely, absolutely. It, I mean, the the idea of people sitting inside a meeting room, and this happens loads, is uh, having them say, we need to get them to do this. And the amount of times I've, I've been able to sort of say, look, you know, can I ask one question? If you stop saying they and say us, how would, the, how would that change the dynamics of this conversation? I used to sit on a board and there was a, a guy on the board who worked for one of the big uh, consultancy firms and he used to talk about the folks, the folks down there, the folks who are doing this, the folks who are doing that. And every time he said it, it was like fingernails on a blackboard to me because I knew he was speaking down because he was a partner and very, yep. very highly paid and did all the travel and led the executive lifestyle. And he, when he spoke to folks, I knew he was looking down his nose at them. And, oh, gee, used to, is it, it made me sick. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I think the, the biggest thing around that for me you know you said you know you're, you're a fundamentalist you look at the fundamental the ba- the basics of everyday stuff and try and find ways of making them interesting to keep the sort of uh, the magpies happy that there's something shiny and silver but it's doing the same thing over and over again but with a slight twist to make it a bit more interesting so for example um you know a client who um was trying to say how do i keep everyone's focus on customers and we've been focusing on customers as a as one of the, the core values of the organizations we we think customers we treat ourselves with each other who and we talk about internal customers you know if i'm not your boss am i a customer or am i a supplier to you in terms of developing that customer supplier relationship inside our own company how do we engage with each other how do we engage so after sort of a year and a half of talking about customer and you know some of the executive okay we've done that now let's go on the next value that we've got to spend some time focusing on and then it's about coming up with another another idea but it's linked into customer so they sent their warehouse staff and their truck drivers to customers where they would deliver their goods to now these warehouse drive there's warehouse people and drivers you know in most organizations are, are normally you know paid the, the basic wage they are normally um seen in a particular light. In this company, they, they had an idea, we're going to treat our drivers and warehouse people like rock stars, just like our salespeople. Now, you think of the stereotype that anyone that runs a business, when they think of their salespeople and they think of their people in their warehouse, 
or their truck drivers, they will say that the salespeople are rock stars. They would ascribe rock star status to a salesperson before they would to a truck driver or a warehouse warehouse guy. Now, who do you think sees the customer more often? The guy delivering the products to the to the um, to the to the manufacturers, to these small manufacturers dotted around the country, or the salesperson. And when that penny clicked, so that's when they decided to send warehouse people and truck drivers to the clients together with a salesperson to understand how their clients ran their business and why it was important for those containers to arrive on time. Because if they spent you know fifty thousand dollars creating a a batch of paint and the contain the, the paint tins hadn't arrived, they were in trouble. So the the the, the connection between what's the purpose of the organisation in their case, to help their customers get their products to market with confidence and a guy who drives a truck or somebody who runs a forklift and connecting those dots and not treating those those people in a warehouse or who drive a truck as any different to somebody wearing a suit, that's, that's you know, when you've got that attitude and that approach, then you are treating all of your staff like an audience who are important to you. Dirk, I've always, I haven't seen you for quite a while, but I've always respected and known you to be an astute learner and a guy who's always looking for the next idea to share. What What's something you have introduced to your clients of recent times that's worked? Oh, that's, a, that's a tough question. That's a tough mm. question. Um, that's why you came here, mate. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's why we're going to boring. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you do. Um, I think the um, Simon Sinek um, idea. Have you heard of Simon Sinek? He's uh, number yeah, two or three in the top TED talks, and he's got a, an idea called the Golden Circle. Um, and he uh, and I, I've, I've I've taken this idea and have um, and you know give him all credit for it because it's a fantastic idea, and it's actually trying to help um, help businesses understand the why, the purpose of their business. I've found it really difficult all in my, in my throughout my whole career to understand when somebody says, well, we're going to have a mission, we're going to have a vision, we're going to have this, we're going to have that. And I've seen so many of these things on walls and I've seen so many people spend gazillions of dollars um, and pounds on, on these sort of programs that go nowhere. Um, and they just because the audiences who would use this in their day-to-day lives just don't get it, and so I think the thing that I've done is, is uh, stolen, but give lots of credit to to Simon Sinek and his Golden Circle is, and there are three things: is to say why does this business exist beyond making a profit, um, and it's not about you know aren't we nice, warm, fuzzy people, but why do we exist beyond making a profit, um, and. How is it that we will do this that differentiates us from our competitors? And what is it that we actually do? And what most people do, as Simon Sinek will talk about, is most people talk about what we do is, well, um, I sell buckets and um, and I sell them for this amount of money and um, I can and I have, and I do um, and I can sell them by the lorry load or a truck load or I can sell them by um, you know online. Um, and that's about it. So you're then going into the functional. And I think what, what I have been really working with most of my clients on is helping them grab a hold of this concept of why, how, and what, and turn it from an interesting marketing idea to actually helping them permeate that thinking throughout the organization, whether it's 
a 12 people team, whether it's a team of plumbers, whether it's a, you know, a news provider, you know, ITN or, or whoever it is, um, it's why do we exist beyond making a profit? And some companies, some of the bigger corporates will have something written up called a purpose or a mission or something. And it's trying to work out whether that's actually real. Um, and I think it's any walk of life, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a a packaging company, whether it's a media company, or, uh, you know, an advertising agency. And there's one that I've been working with recently and, you know, branding agencies would understand that. But even so, it's actually saying, why do we exist beyond making a profit? And that's hard. That is really hard to, to, to actually nail. So, um, and then what is it that we do? So, for example, I would talk, use me, my own sort of business as an example. So, ultimately, my job is to help people as a to work they'll do on their own because they'll do it on their own but I help people do it faster than they would do on their own and with less collateral damage which is the dot 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 and less collateral damage and I'll say the less collateral damage as I get to know them but that's that's the, the, the that's what I do and that's why I exist beyond making enough money to you know to look after my family and, and, and have a good life. And how I would do that is through thinking about things differently, helping people think about things differently, to come at things from just a slightly different perspective in order to help them change their behaviours. And um, and, there's, and I have a real belief that clients have the answers already inside them. My job is to help facilitate their thinking, to be able to get them out. Um, and um, the one thing that we provide that differentiates us is unconditional positive regard. And that sounds all very nice, but the sense is there's no judgment. It's your business. It's your goal that you try to achieve. It's simply about helping you think about it. Unless it's illegal, then you know you are, we're not here to judge. We're here to help you think differently to achieve the outcome that you're looking for. And what we offer is a whole bunch of products and services, leadership coaching, systemic team coaching, consulting, you know, all the usual thing you'd expect from somebody who, who does what I do. But the key point is why would somebody hire me is the why and the how we do it that's different to a whole bunch of other management consultants that are out there in the marketplace. So if there's a tip, it's actually have a think about why you exist beyond making a profit. That doesn't mean to say profit's not important. It's very important. But why do we exist? Some people use the word purpose, but it's, um, it's worth Googling. Uh, Simon Sinek on TED Talks, um, The Golden Circle, and, and seeing whether that has some role in, in your organisation. Because when your truck drivers or your uh, on-air talent or your um, staff that are creative or in your accounts department, you know, they may not say the why words, but that's what they'd rather get up for and come to work for of a Monday morning than, um, than just a paycheck. You mentioned uh, earlier when we started chatting about having difficult conversations or having straight conversations, are we are we struggling with that, Dirk? It just seems to me that we are becoming a corporate society, even of, even in charities or whatever. We're becoming very soft, and we are becoming less likely to be authentic, to really speak the truth, be honest up front. Do you think we're sort of shying away from that now? We're be- when our conversations are becoming a little bit too safe and soft yeah absolutely absolutely man that's 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 gold i'll put that on the wall um that <laughs> is that, that, i'll put that on my wall it, it, it's absolutely um the i don't know whether it's more than it used to be um i think we probably notice it more because i think we're as you know this may be a bit too, too maybe i'm thinking more than i probably should about it but i it, it's just 
it's actually as we as we are able to learn to articulate better because you know society's moving on we're more open about conversations um, things that were taboo aren't so taboo but at the same time as you're saying how do you say to somebody how do you have an authentic conversation how do you say to somebody this piece of work isn't good enough um, your behavior and what I sensed in a couple of clients is that I want to have the conversation but I don't know how to so there's two parts to it I'm prepared to have the conversation but I don't know how to or and that's that's the majority or I just don't I'm not used to having that I, I, I that's not culturally fit for me um, even though you show me how to do it I'm not so sure or the environment doesn't allow it um, and if I go out there Am I going to be supported by my boss? That's the big thing. Do If I go out there and, and really have a conversation with somebody and the fear of the staff member kicking off is, is, the, biggest, uh, is the biggest issue. So difficult conversations are um, hard to have. And a part of it is because we, we are fearful that we're going to add a value judgment into behaviours. So there's an example with a client where they had somebody who was um, fantastic at their job. They were all of their measures and their scores on what they were doing in their in their job was right, but their their attitude and their you know their conversations with staff they were just just hard work, really negative. You know anything that the organisation did was you know bad mouthed, and and so when they went to have a conversation uh, with the person. Uh, they, they said, well, you know, but but my behaviour's been fine. But no, your your skills are fine, but your behaviour's bad. And it's a, what we need to do is help organisations, people realise behaviour is one thing. Behaviour might be actually um, creating a piece of content. It might actually be working in, in a store. Your behaviour is that, but it's also the behaviour of how you speak to each other. What are the things we see you do? What are the things we hear you say? Whether it's a skill that you're hired for or whether it's how you hang out with your work colleagues, is there, it's, they're all behaviours and we, we need to be able to have that conversation. But we don't teach people to have them. We don't train people to have that conversation and we don't create an environment where we expect people to be able to say, look, I'm pretty feeling pretty annoyed about this. So in a recent conversation with somebody, we did a we you know we did a training session um, where we actually have um, a scenario and we and we have sort of you know five steps to how to have this conversation and the most effort is put into the planning. What is it? What's the outcome we want? What is it that um, that I've done as the boss to to contribute to this? Here's how I'm feeling about it, and here's what needs to happen. Now the point in the com- in the setup of the conversation was here's how I'm feeling about it. Most people, oh, I can't say how I'm feeling about it. And that's the point that you said before, you know, I'm not allowed to, you know, we've got to keep everything calm and we can't say, but, you know, I'm frustrated because this piece of work isn't being done is a part of the conversation. But it's helping people learn how to actually say that without without blowing up. And so what most people do is avoid it, just walk away from it. So there's lots of things going on. And then all of a sudden someone gets told, you're no longer required, you're made redundant. And they're going, hang on a second, why has nobody said anything to me? It's, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. That was part of a process. What you just talked about was um, part of a process that a guy called Marshall Rosenberg wrote in a book called Nonviolent Communication. And yep. he would negotiate between warring tribes or countries at war or politicians of different... I mean, it was, he was high-level conflict. And he would use 
that process. I'm not sure. I don't think the book is still in publication, but it was really worthwhile looking at what's online for it. Marshall Rosenberg, nonviolent communication, because the feeling part is it's non negotiable. It's actually how I'm feeling. You can't question that. Yeah. But quite yeah. often that bit's not covered, is it? Well, it's 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 along the lines that you were talking about of um, how do you how do you get permission? And I think there's a there's a psychology around that. Um, that we don't learn in, in, in business or in, in organisational environment. We don't learn how to actually say that. And that, a lot of that's, you know, it's, it's, it's understandable. I don't think anyone is wrong because they can't because we've either been brought up to say this is what you do in business and we've never been taught, just like so many managers have never been taught how to, how to you know, become leaders or to operate leadership. So, you know, and it's not a training session. It's it's not about that. It, it's about somebody. Look, if any, if every single person who worked could have a coach to help them think through how they want to deal with these sort of things, that'll be the world would be wonderful. It's not practical, so we go to training. the The problem with training, of course, is is the usual sort of cliche. You go for a day and and you come back and nothing changes. It's and that's where I think leadership plays a big role is you model the behaviour where you can have real open conversations and you, you you do it with unconditional positive regard, which is the psych the psych the psychologist's approach, which is me, simply means I'm not going to put a value judgment on this. I'm unhappy about it. It's got to change, but that doesn't you know you play the ball, not the person. So we're talking about the issue that's not being done, rather than you you as an individual are no good because you're not doing it. The work needs to be done. And it needs to be done this way. Well, we didn't expect to go down this rabbit hole with you. <laughs> Wait, where's the mean girl bit? I've, yeah, I've always found you interesting, fascinating. You're learned. You're smart. You're a good guy. You've held some very, very high positions in media in the UK and Australia and around the world. So to have you on the line and be able to dig into some of this stuff was really uh, very valuable. Those those who do want to explore more about Dirk Anthony, where do you send people, mate? Uh, well, it's uh, DirkAnthony.com. Um, I sort of have two sort of personas, if you like. One is uh, for media, because that's sort of my background. Um, but the organisation that I work with, my business partners, blankwhitepage.co.uk. And that's very much for the sort of business. But I think, you know, Google Dirk Anthony and the world is a small place. I'm sure we'll find each other. Blank White Page. I love that. That's a great name. Thank you. Yeah, my business partner came up with this idea. So I've got this idea for a business going to do this, this, and this called Blank White Page. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> That'd sell me from the beginning. That's great. Well, no doubt we'll be talking some more about our radio station opportunity in Tennessee uh, and getting our format right so it fits in with Boring Tennessee. I can hear the intro uh, now. Live to the world from Boring Tennessee, the Mojo Radio well, Show. I'm happy to. I'm happy to uh, take on the sort of management negotiation for you, and uh, and obviously provide you some feedback on the show. I actually thought your eighty percent fee was fairly reasonable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's normally what ninety, about- but for you guys. <laughs> What about from Boring Tennessee, the Mojo Radio Show, it's anything but dot, dot, dot. Oh, listen, there you go. He's got his cowboy boots on today because he's thinking well. I'm all over it. You need AP to do that uh, as the voiceover, just to give it a shot. (laughs) (laughs) That's next week's intro taken care of anyway. Mate, nice to catch up. It's, uh, it was lovely to hear you. We appreciate you hanging around and uh, sharing some gold with us. Uh, We will whiteboard it 
speak to the team, <laughs> speak to our management. That shouldn't take long. Uh, crack a couple more beers and uh, we'll come back to you. <laughs> Good to talk, guys. Thanks for your time. We don't take ourselves too seriously. I wish I knew how to quit you. The Mojo Radio Show. Well, that was a little bit unpredictable. Uh, We didn't expect to be going that deep with Dirk today on the show, so consequently we didn't actually get to the guest we did have on the show, did we? No, I think we owe someone an apology. (laughs) But uh, that's the nature of, I guess, a good radio show. You're going to take advantage of those that call in, as they say, Mm. in the business. So, um, But a great chat. I really like Dirk. He's working with some pretty top-level executives around the world, and I thought uh, the stuff he had to say was gold. That's what I like. The Mojo Radio Show. So just before we finish up, a couple of thank yous to people who left lovely reviews on iTunes for us with five stars. Uh, And the reason this is special for us is because it's all we get out of the show, to be honest, is feedback from you guys letting us know you're out there, number one. Number two, that you're liking the show. Life Coaching Lady said, I love listening to these podcasts while training. I find them so motivating and inspiring. I never fail to get moments of gold from them. Thanks. And I think that's probably one of the good things that Dirk mentioned during the show about podcasts is that you can listen to them at your leisure. You never miss anything. And also, for those who don't know, there's actually a little button on them where you can save them. So when you do find gold, you can save the show. And also a thank you to TC2271. It's a classic. Two good old boys... Sharing the mojo for free. My favourite show, First Class. That's all we need. One yeah, line. That's it. all we need. Nothing nice. much more. TC, Top Cat. It's got to be, doesn't it? And thank you to the boys from Crimson Royale who have recorded our intro song. Uh, it's, the, it's the Dukes of Hazards remade with a little bit of mojo in it. So uh, two good old boys. Thank you, the boys from Crimson Royale. Album coming out soon. Good work, lads. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. So let me play these crew grabs for you. It's party time. All right. So pop quiz, hot shot. Who are they? Uh, okay, I would go uh, Michael Keaton from Beetlejuice. And the last one I couldn't tell you. Well... That's, it's right, but it's not exactly where I was going. But those okay. actually three voices were all Jim Carrey. Oh, wow. There and you go. And they were all from different Jim Carrey movies. Now, our tale out this week is a piece I found of Jim Carrey being interviewed. It's quite a long interview, and I'll put the link to it in the show notes. But something that's interesting as a setup to this is that Jim Carrey has had an amazing movie career. He's also a brilliant artist. And if you look online, you'll see his studio, he's got built, the work he's doing. He is an unbelievable artist. However, how he sees himself today is he believes his new mission, his new purpose, is to help people to be their best. So he's actually now on a real discovery to say, well, how do I help other people to be their best? Have a listen to Jim Carrey during this interview about the, the journey he's now, well, where he's come from, where he's going to, and about being truly authentic to yourself. That's what I've come to so many times in my career, in my life, is that I've, I've said, the safe road is, is, is gonna pay off. There are, there are many payoffs to it, but I can't be there and, uh, and, uh, and have my soul be on a completely different track. I, I just, it's always worth losing. To me, it is. It's always worth risking, and if 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 uh, if if this other side of me is not a popular one in the in 
the scheme of things, as far as uh, movie tickets go, then you know what? I'll, I'll I'll find a way to sneak it in there. I'll 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 I'll, uh, I'll make a plan. I, I will I will show myself. You know, I will find a way. And even if even if I'm not as popular, I, I will live in that area. I will I will expand myself. One of the themes we've had through the show, I guess, for five seasons is we, we keep asking people and wanting to know, how do you become self-aware? How do you find your authentic self? And I like the way that Jim Carrey talks about all through his career, although it didn't please a lot of people and he might have made some enemies along the way, he was always true to himself and he didn't live his life trying to please everyone else. He dreamt his own dreams. He chased them. And it seems from this interview, when looking at the work he does, he didn't try and be a people pleaser, whereas many, many people get to the point late in life, they think, as Patria King said on our show, on their deathbed, they look back and go, what was it all about? And the greatest regret we ever have, according to Bronnie Ware, who will be a guest on our show in the coming months, who wrote a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying, is that we never lived a life true to ourselves. We never lived the dreams and the life that we wanted. We tried to please everybody else. We tried to meet everybody else's expectations. And I just thought this was a great piece from Jim Carrey to talk about, well, here's an example of a guy who created his own path and probably one of the most creative and expressive actors we've had of a modern generation. And it just reminded me of a saying, and I don't know who to accredit this to, and it was, I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. So I think we should all take, pardon? That was me last Friday night at the pub. Yeah, so I think we could take a tip from Jim. And if I'm saying anything to the Mojo Radio Show team, the tribe, is sit down with your journal, work out who you are, but most of all, just be true to yourself. And I thought, because we are a little rock, a little country, and a little gangster, can we go out with a little Eminem? Sure. We're out. If you had one shot... One opportunity sees everything you ever wanted. One moment, did you capture it? Just let it slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop palms. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clock's run out, time's up, over, loud. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes rabbit. He choke, he's so mad, but he won't give up. We move toward a new world.
is boring, the superstardom's close to postmortem, it only grows harder, homie grows hotter, he blows, it's all over, these n****s is all on him, coast to coast shows, he's known as the globe trotter, lonely roads, God only knows, he's grown farther from home, he's no father, he goes home and barely knows his own daughter, behold your nose, cause here goes the cold Produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.